When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And on the other half of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabrow. Kevin, what a week of football we had in the NFL this past weekend. It's honestly just getting better and better. Like wine, it's getting better with age. You know, as the weeks go by, you're just happier. As the days pass forward, the football is just back in general. And my God, I couldn't be happier. And today, just like last week, we got a whole lot of things to talk about today. I'm going to break down the agenda really quick just to kind of get into the nitty gritty. Uh, Similar to last week, Kyle and I are going to break down about four or five games that we thought were most relevant. Obviously, we're not going to talk about every single game, but... It probably seems like we're going to talk about mostly every game because Kyle and I are going to also repeat the segment that we did last week in terms of some honorable mentions. And then, of course, we are going to get into the prediction for the Monday Night Football game. So on the agenda, we're going to talk about Bills and Dolphins. The Bills annihilated the Dolphins 35-0. to In Miami, Tua Tungavailoa ends up leaving the game in the fourth quarter with what seemed to be an apparent rib injury. The Vikings and the Cardinals gave us an old-fashioned shootout in which the Cardinals squeaked it out. And the Vikings missed a field goal as time expired by the score of 34-33. to Very old-fashioned, incredible game all the way down to the wire. Definitely did not expect that to be what it was, but probably the game of the week. Then we're going to slide into the Raiders' upset of the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Uh, Derek Carr looks absolutely incredible to start off the season. The Raiders are 2-0, defeating probably two of the better playoff teams that were in the postseason last year. In the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers, both also AFC North teams. So John Gruden and those boys look absolutely incredible. And then to close out this, excuse me, not to close out, we have another segment that I just can't read. Uh, The Titans and the Seahawks. The Seahawks seem to have this game in the bag relatively towards the middle slash end of the fourth quarter in which the uh, Titans came back and scored 16 unanswered points and then ended up winning in overtime by the score of, I can't read once again, 33 to 30. Uh, Seattle was at home. It looked like they kind of took their feet off the gas pedal. That or Derrick Henry just took the game completely over by himself because he's not human. And then, of course, we'll have our honorable mentions. My two games are going to be the Rams and the Colts, the Broncos and the Jaguars. Kyle will be bringing up the, um, oh, my God, the Panthers and the Saints game, as well as the Patriots and the Jets. But I also already forgot the fact that we're also going to talk about the, the Bucks game and their annihilation of the Atlanta Falcons. And Kyle has a, a question for me in terms of uh, what we think Brady's status is two weeks in and how he's looking. But uh, I'm going to pass it off to Kyle because I know for a fact Kyle has a whole lot of questions for both of us. 
And uh, we're going to just take that deep dive going forward. Yeah. And um, just to kind of like wrap up the episode, um, we'll do our uh, Monday night football predictions like we did last week as well. But yeah, we got a, yeah, we got a jam packed episode. So let's um, get right into it. Like you mentioned up at the top, we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and just the absolute annihilation that they had against the Miami Dolphins. So 35 to nothing ass whooping. Uh, like you mentioned, Tua Tagovailoa going down early in the game with a rib injury. And it really did show Miami's weakness as an offense because they weren't able to get any sort of offensive consistency before his injury or after his injury. You know, Jacoby Brissett replaced him after Tua went down, but they were unsuccessful to put up any sort of offensive output against Buffalo. So you got to give Buffalo's defense a little bit of credit there. But Kevin, I'll pose the question to you. You know, what did you think of Buffalo's 35-point drubbing, ass-whooping, whatever you want to call it, uh, against the Dolphins? What did it prove to you? I mean, well, first and foremost, let's not sugarcoat anything here. This is a, this is an annihilation. This is an embarrassment. Your starting quarterback being taken out of the game or not, to be the home team and get stomped out like this just kind of shows Miami's lost on the offensive side of the ball. Buffalo got a, a litany of opportunities on the offensive side themselves, and they were able to capitalize, and they ran the ball effectively. And that's something that Buffalo doesn't really do, and they're not necessarily known for. But the last two weeks, they have been putting a little bit more effort. Um, overall, I think that Miami's got to get back to the drawing board. Tua may miss some significant time, depending on the, uh, the severity of this rib injury. Um, Jacoby Brissett has experience in this league. Obviously, me being a Colts fan, I know that better than most. And, of course, the team prior to that was the New England Patriots. So Jacoby is no scrub to the pressures of the NFL, but it seemed that he was ill-equipped and ill-prepared to play in this scenario. But again, the Buffalo's defense was also very smothering, and they did what they needed to do to stop that uh, backup quarterback situation in which Jacoby Brissett seemed to be completely ineffective. QBR rating of 36.9, a total passer rating of 59.3. Just did not look very well whatsoever. I mean, he had an average passing attempt of 4.2 yards. So it just looked like he was playing very conservative. Now, on the other side, I'm not going to sit here and act like Josh Allen had a perfect game and he lit the Dolphins up like last season where he was an MVP caliber quarterback. I'm going to kind of go in the opposite direction. Josh Allen looks like he made a massive regression from last year to this year because last week he looked absolutely atrocious. But again, we gave him the benefit of the doubt because he played one of the better, if not the best defense in the NFL in the Pittsburgh Steelers. But then he goes into Miami. They won 35 to 0. But Josh Allen was basically just over 50% in terms of completion percentage. He was 17 of 33. He only had 179 yards. I know I kind of shitted on Jacoby Brissett for having a 4.2 average throw per uh, attempt. Josh Allen had a 5.4. Josh Allen's QBR was 62.9, a passer rating of 75.2, and he had a turnover. So I'm not going to go out there and give him a pass. But once again, it just seemed like the Buffalo defense was able to put their offense in a position to score because they had three total rushing touchdowns, one by Singletary and two by Zach Moss. And one of uh, the rushing touchdowns by Josh Allen was taken away. So I would say more that this game could have been a lot worse, especially if Josh Allen were to play up to par. But I'm going to just mainly focus on the fact of Miami's ineptitude or – unavailability to score on offense. I mean, zero points. It just, 
They could not get it going. They ran the ball 20 times for an average of 3.6 yards per carry. They had a total of 145 passing yards together. Um, there was, I mean, Tua was sacked two times. Jacoby was sacked four. So, again, highlighting on that Buffalo defense. But Miami's got to go back to the drawing board, man. They have offensive talent. They have a good team. They're very young. But Brian Flores has a very good defense put together. So I'm really, really, really looking for them to bounce back next week. But this being a division battle, it's not looking good for Miami right now. No, it really kind of goes to show just Buffalo's owning of the Miami Dolphins. It was like you mentioned last year at the end of the regular season, Buffalo puts up 50 plus in a game that the Dolphins had they beaten Buffalo and had some things work out their way, they would have ended up in the playoffs. But it was just an absolute onslaught today by Buffalo. Now, granted, it wasn't the show that we've seen from Josh Allen recently, because, <coughs> excuse me, with Josh Allen, by and large, you know, he's coming off of almost an MVP caliber season last year where he just lit up opposing defenses. But it, it's like you said at the beginning of this year, it seems like he has struggled a little bit. So, I thought, by and large, they didn't need to rely on Josh Allen's arm in this game. You know, the fact of the matter is, they seem to be a much more balanced team, or at least they're making the effort to run the ball a little bit more effectively than they did last year. When, by and large, seventy-five to eighty-five percent of the time, it was Josh Allen or die, and they basically put no effort into the run game whatsoever. So, I do appreciate the fact that Buffalo's coaching staff has made adjustments from last year. They are trying to make the run game a more focal point in the offense, and it did it did show today. The fact of the matter is is they had almost 150 yards rushing. You combine that with the fact that Josh Allen had about 170 yards passing. Overall, the, the offense had about 310, 315 yards offensively. But you combine that with what the defense put up today, which was a shutout. You, you get the 35.5 touchdown ass-whooping against the Miami Dolphins. The fact of the matter is, is, is that the defense was sensational today. Granted, they were going up against a backup quarterback, but... You got six sacks. So the fact that they were able to bring constant pressure against Miami is kind of a tip to the hat to them. So I do appreciate the fact that despite the fact that Miami lost their backup quarterback, Buffalo never lost sight of the fact that, you know, you still have to treat your opponent up to snuff despite a backup being in. And they did that very well today. So with Buffalo, I'm not really concerned with them in the long term. I still think that they're going to be at the top of the AFC East when it's all said and done at the end of the year. My concern is with Miami, though. You lose to a tag of Iowa to an injury that we don't know how long he's going to be out for. That he, he did get cracked on that play that took him out of the game. So we're going to have to monitor, monitor that rib injury as the season progresses. Hopefully it's not too bad. So hopefully he can bounce back from that sooner rather than later. But Miami's offense just cannot get it together. They scored 17 points in a really close game against New England in week one. They threw up zero in this game. And they just don't really have a great offensive identity. I mean, they only ran the ball for 71 yards today. They only had about 150 yards passing with Jacoby in. So they're going to have to find some sort of identity to work on with the offense here because they can't solely rely on the defense to hold the team together as far as like the score goes, because if the offense is going to make no effort whatsoever to try to get points up on the board, 
it's going to put way too much pressure on that defense. And the defense is going to crack. And we saw that against Buffalo today. So I'm actually surprised when I look at this game overall that the score wasn't higher than 35 nothing. But it really kind of goes to show that, you know, Buffalo is, as far as I'm concerned, they're still at the top of the AFC East. And when it comes to Miami, Miami's in trouble. How much trouble they're in, I don't know yet. We'll kind of make that assessment when we get to his injury report back. But if he's out for a significant period of time, I think there's definitely some worry when it comes to Miami for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, we're definitely not in panic mode yet. It is week two in the NFL. We're not going to sit here and make bold predictions that the, 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 the Dolphin season is over, that Josh Allen is officially back to his old ways. Week two, we got a lot of games to go, and we couldn't be happier. Speaking of games, the next game that's on the agenda was an old-fashioned slugfest from two big offenses that absolutely showed out and performed, and it went literally down to the final second. Unfortunately, Minnesota did miss the field goal to win the game, and as I stated, it was 33-34 to in favor of the Arizona Cardinals, who move on to 2-0. and Minnesota falls to 0-2. So, Kyle, I know you have a question for me, but um, – just overall, I mean, I, I, usually I'm always going first, so I, I just want to hear your thoughts on, on on this old-fashioned game. I haven't seen a game like this go back and forth, at least be a one-point def- one game in quite some time. So what do you think this means for both teams going forward? You know, I'll start with the Arizona Cardinals since they were the team that won here. When I look at the Cardinals, this team's legit. Offensively, they've been sensational. Kyler was... I think solid today. I thought he got off to a very hot start. But the one thing that does kind of follow him are these turnover issues. He had two more interceptions today. And it did give the Vikings some opportunities to put some points back on the board. So when I when I look at the Arizona Cardinals overall, you know, I was really kind of questioning whether or not that they would be competitive in the NFC West because you have a, an awesome division. You got to deal with the Los Angeles Rams, who are possibly one of the best teams in the NFC. You got Seattle to deal with, and the 49ers are coming off of a year where they were riddled with injuries, and they look like they are a much more competitive force than they were last year. But when I look at Arizona this year, it looks like Kyler has taken a step forward. And even despite the fact that they let up 33 points against Minnesota's offense, they were able to do just enough to get by. And that's going to be the issue for this team moving forward, though, is whether or not that Arizona's defense can hold up and can Kyler overcome how anemic this defense can be. Obviously, Chandler Jones was a huge uh, story last week with him getting five sacks. Uh, that was not the case today. You know, he had a decent game, but not, you know, a five-sack-worthy game like he had in week one. And, you know, that's the thing is... Who's going to show up? Is If Kyler shows up consistently like he has been the last two weeks, I think the sky's the limit when it comes to Arizona, uh, possibly competing for the top of the NFC West this year. But if you're getting more performances where you're giving up 33 points in the process, that's a lot of pressure on Kyler's shoulders and the Arizona Cardinals offense altogether to combat. So granted, it was good enough to win today. It was an offensive show from both teams today and it really kind of goes to show just where the general direction of 
the NFL is going, there's a much bigger emphasis on the offensive side of the ball than there's the defensive side of the ball. And when you got dynamic playmakers like Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins just absolutely lighting it up, it's tough to stop that defensively. And when I look at the Vikings, man, the Vikings might be the best 0-2 team in the league because last week they lost in overtime 27-24 to against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then they lose a one-point game against the Arizona Cardinals. So both of their losses are a combined four points. I mean, it doesn't get that much closer to winning a game than the results that they've had the last two weeks when they lost both of them. So I'm not going to put too much worry on the Vikings just yet. I think Kirk Cousins has played pretty solid so far. I mean, even in the game today, relatively speaking, I thought he was solid. 22 of 32 passing, 244 yards. He threw three touchdowns. And Dalvin Cook was solid on the ground. He had 22 carries and over 130 yards rushing. So I think, obviously, the main issue with the Vikings is their defense. Is that Their defense is atrocious. And until they get that corrected, this team is going to be average. Mediocre to average. I just I don't see how they're going to be able to turn this thing around if the defense is not there to to step up from what they were last year because statistically speaking last year they were horrible but offensively you know they got a good thing going hopefully it kind of stays that way but when it comes to the Vikings overall we're only two weeks in not too worried about them yet if they continue this slide then I will definitely be worried with this team and it's in large part due to the defense the defense just can't hold up against any offense they go against apparently and it kind of showed in that Arizona game but all in all, this is a fantastic game, and this is probably one of the best games of the year so far. So uh, I'm going to agree in a lot of ways with what Kyle already reiterated or what he had already said. Uh, Kyle Murray, absolutely sensational. A total of seven incompletions on his day, uh, 29 and 36. Two of those, unfortunately, were taken for interceptions. He was sacked three times, but overall, Kyle Murray was just at an MVP caliber level. 400 total yards, 11 yards per throw. Absolutely incredible. Three total touchdowns. Oh, excuse me. Three total passing touchdowns and then one rushing. Uh, and you know what I'm saying? They, they they played very good football. And I mean, they ran the ball, I want to say, okay. They only had 21 rushing attempts. But it, it's an, it was an old-fashioned shootout, like I said. I mean, everybody was slinging it. So, I mean, on both sides of the ball, the offensive side was great. But there just seemed to be a little bit more defense from Minnesota just because, again, like I said, Tyler had two interceptions, and he was sacked three times. So Minnesota's defense did step up, but it wasn't enough. And to lose the game by missing a field goal does unfortunately suck because, you know, the offense is putting in a whole lot of work. The defense was shorthanded. Anthony Barr was out. Everson Griffin was out with a concussion. So they were shorthanded, and I felt that they did a very good job, and I'm referencing the uh, the Vikings, at trying to keep Kyler Murray contained. That is a very difficult assignment for any defense. But uh, you did see some blown coverages. I mean, we had uh, Rondell Moore had a 77-yard touchdown. I mean, it was absolutely just a blown coverage. You have Max Williams going for a 34-yard reception. Christian Kirk had a 35-yard reception. A.J. Green had a 29-yard reception. So it just seems like there were a lot of holes within this defense. Granted, they did find ways to get certain stops and force some turnovers. But as Kyle stated, it wasn't enough to come over the firepower that was the Arizona offense. but I will give credit, like Kyle said, Dalvin Cook, great game. Kirk Cousins, great game. What's weird is I was actually at my girlfriend's house watching the games, kind of spending time with her family. 
And the second this game starts, the Vikings score within like 48 seconds or 47 seconds. I see Kirk Cousins is literally sitting on the bench with the pad, and it was like 7 nothing. And I'm just like, what the fuck did I miss? And when I saw that, I said, this game's literally going to go back and forth because Kyler Murray is going to run all over them. He threw all over them. But overall, my God, what a game. Definitely up there for game of the week, if not game of the year thus far. But it is unfortunate that Minnesota fell short. And I agree with Kyle. They're probably the best 0-2 team in the league. A total of four points and losses. That just that's got a sting, that's got a burn. And when they get those other players back on the defensive side of the ball, I believe the Minnesota will find a way to turn it around. Anthony Barr is one of the best linebackers in football. Obviously, Everson Griffin is no longer a spring chicken. He's not young. But his presence in terms of a pass rush could make life a little easier for the other people down there on the front four. So uh, outside of this game, we did have another surprising victory. or Well, not a surprising victory, but a surprising game in general. And that would be the Las Vegas Raiders over the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Raiders are 2-0. and that record in itself does not sound like a lot, but when you look back at their season last year, you did not expect the Raiders of last year to do anything that they're doing right now. They beat two playoff teams that were in the AFC North. They beat two playoff teams that are pretty much almost the exact same outside of the Ravens basically losing half of their team to torn ACLs. But Pittsburgh... Pittsburgh's coming back on the defensive side of the ball, maybe a little bit better outside of uh, their big pass rusher, Bud Dupree, leaving to Tennessee. So I don't know what's happening here, but the Raiders look absolutely incredible. And I know that Chucky, a.k.a. John Gruden, I don't know why I said it backwards, but I'm rolling with it. Yo, I know John Gruden is hyped to know that they are starting the season 2-0 and and Derek Carr is finally playing at a level that we all know he's capable of. I think it's crazy. I, I can't believe it simply just because I don't want to say like Derek Carr was like a lost cause in the NFL. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a lot of hype around uh, Derek Carr and the Raiders possibly being like one of these teams to, to pop up against a team that could compete against New England back when New England was kind of like in their Super Bowl run in kind of like the mid to later part of the 2010s. It just never really manifested itself, and the Chiefs ended up popping up and kind of taking that spot away from them. But I got to say this. Derek Carr has looked absolutely phenomenal this year so far. Granted, it's only been two games, but this team lit it up against the Pittsburgh Steelers today. And Pittsburgh is coming off a, a very impressive road win against Buffalo the week prior. And Buffalo has one of the more dynamic offenses that this league has to offer. I mean... Derek Carr going 28 of 37 for 382 yards passing and two touchdowns against this defense is nothing short of phenomenal. And by the way, being able to do that on the road is another tip in his cap as well. So not only that, we finally see a Henry Ruggs sighting simply just because Henry Ruggs was one of the most sought out wide receivers in I believe the 2020 NFL draft. I might be screwing up the year. I hope it's that draft in particular. He had a really solid day, had five catches for over a buck 10, had a touchdown as well. Darren Waller, who's like Derek Carr's number one go-to guy, he had a relatively pedestrian game just because apparently Derek Carr likes to throw that guy the ball 20 times in a game. So I'm actually kind of surprised that his totals are a little bit higher, but you know, five catches for 65 yards is okay. But 
it really kind of goes to show like this is Derek Carr's offense. John Gruden has full confidence that he can lead this offense to new heights compared to where they've been the last couple of years. And defensively, they played well today. You know, granted, I don't think the Steelers like offensively are that great because Big Ben is looking like 39 going on 50 at this point. And despite that, the Raiders stepped up. So they held Big Ben to like 295 yards passing. Also got an interception from him. I know Deontay Johnson had a good game from the Steelers, but you held them to 17 points on the road. And it, Kevin, just to kind of like piggyback off the point that you were making, I'm just I'm absolutely shocked that this team is two and zero. I just I never expected it. I thought this team at best could go one and one, and that was it. Honestly, I thought they could have gone zero and two just because. The Steelers are a really good team from last year. Baltimore is a really good team from last year. But they've really shocked me. And in large part, it's due to the fact that Derek Carr is just lighting it up and he's making plays happen. So, listen, I got to give the Raiders and Derek Carr a lot of respect. They have shown up these these first two weeks. And I guess for their sake, I just hope it continues for them. Yeah, I... I mean, I stated it at the beginning for a reason. Nobody saw this coming. I don't care who you are. No one saw, No one thought that the, the, the Raiders were going to come out of nowhere, beat two playoff teams from the season before, two people from the AFC North, let alone, you know, two teams in general. You beat Lamar Jackson and you beat that Pittsburgh defense. And well, TJ Watt did leave the game in the second quarter. So, I mean, I know that he's injured. But overall, great performance. Um Pittsburgh obviously has got to go back to the drawing board. Uh, ben looked a lot better than he did last week. I think that Ben played a very good game, five yards short of 300 total yards. He had a tut and then an interception. But overall, I think he had a solid game. I think where they're struggling right now is going to be running the football. They had 14 total rushes for 39 yards. That's 2.8 yards per carry. That's abysmal. If you're going to win in the National Football League, you have to be able to run the ball, and I think Pittsburgh has unfortunately been falling the last two seasons or so. Uh, they have not been able to move the football, move the chains, kind of get into that clock draining football. I think that they're relying on Ben at his age way too much. Another 40, uh, another 40 attempts today for him. I know that that's not going to bode well as the season progresses. Uh, the emergence of Deontay Johnson has been nothing short of spectacular. T- 12 total targets, 105 yards. Uh, no TDs today, but he's averaging 11.7 yards per reception today. So that's kind of crazy. But giving it back to the attention of Vegas, bouncing off what Kyle said, Derek Carr is playing MVP caliber football. I know that he's nowhere near the total touchdowns that Tom Brady is, but in terms of efficiency, leadership, and then just getting it done when it matters the absolute most, I think that Derek's playing great. It's about damn time. He's had a lot of shortcomings over his career. The Antonio Brown situation, breaking his leg against the Colts uh, later on in the season a few years back. Uh, The inconsistencies in the offensive line and the rotations of his coaching circle uh, have been nothing short of just absolutely annoying. But I'm looking here at something that Vegas can improve upon, and that's going to be running the football. They ran the ball 25 times, but they only had 52 total yards. That's 2.1 yards per carry. I didn't even fucking know Peyton Barber was on this team. I have Kenyon Drake in fantasy, and I saw, oh, okay, Josh Jacobs is out, so Kenyon's going to get the start. This man only had seven touches. Like, Chucky, what are you doing? You're one of the better offensive minds out there in the game. You guys got to be able to – if you want to continue to win in this league, 
you got to be able to run the ball. So that's one big area that they could focus on. And I'm going to give them credit in a place that I never thought I would give them credit in this season. Their defense today was spectacular. You held the Pittsburgh Steelers to 17 points, kept them under three yards per carry on the ground. You kept Ben at seven yards per attempt in the air. Got to give credit where credit is due, man. The Raiders are playing some great football right now. And the scary thing about the AFC West, every single team is about to be 2-0. and Wild, right? Like I, I, the, the AFC West, are you? Fu- like, I would no. I expected definitely. I, oh, the well, yeah, the Chargers lost today. My bad. But in general, like everybody in this division had a chance to be two and zero this week. The Chargers fell short because Zane Gonzalez, uh, Zane, what, what's it? Not Zane Gonzalez. Uh, I don't, oh my God! The kicker for the Cowboys, whatever, um, hit a fifty-five yarder, fifty-six yarder to win the game. So the Chargers were that close. But the point of the matter is, I don't think anybody saw the AFC West being as competitive as it is right now, let alone the Raiders being the division leader. Incredible. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they utilize uh, Kenyon Drake as the featured back until Josh Jacobs does come back. So, I mean, by and large, Kenyon Drake is their main receiving back. So, I mean, he had five receptions for 46 yards today. And I think, by and large, like that's the role that I think John Gruden is going to have him in. For the rest of the season, he's going to be kind of their their second, their second long, you know, third down back when it comes to a passing option, and I think primarily that that's going to be his role. When it comes to just you know smash mouth football, it's mostly going to be either Josh Jacobs or Peyton Barber for the most part. I don't really see Kenyon Drake getting a lot of carries, like where to the point he's getting like twenty twenty five touches a game. I think most of his damage is going to come in the passing game, and I, he's kind of like similar to. James White with New England in that sense. He's going to do most of his damage in the pass game. That's an interesting take. I definitely didn't see him as a receiving back out there in Arizona when he was with Kyler Murray last year. That was mainly Chase Edmonds, but I didn't even see that he had five catches for the amount that he did. So, I mean, it is what it is. Every offense utilizes their personnel differently, so I can't sit here and judge. But if we're going to sit here and judge personnel, that's going to be the next game because holy shit – the Tennessee Titans come back to win in Seattle by the score of 33-30 to 30 when they had no business winning this game. They had Derrick Henry contained within the first half, and then he absolutely obliterated them come the third and fourth quarter. He ended the game, if I'm not mistaken, with 163 rushing – excuse me, 182 rushing yards. Another almost 200-yard game. I cannot understand how this man is allowed to walk the streets anyway. He's just, he, he had to have made, been made in a lab. Like, there's nobody that big, that heavy, that should be that fast and that strong at his position. Like, realistically, you can put Derrick Henry as a linebacker, as a defensive end, and I wouldn't be surprised. But he sits here and he plays phenomenal football week in and week out at an incredible clip. Running the ball like they did back in the 70s and the 80s. I want you guys to think about this for a second. What running back in this particular generation or era in terms of people within our generation of football has run the ball this many times and run it effectively? 35 carries? I have no idea outside of Adrian Peterson what running back is getting that many touches and is being effective. 182 yards, meaning 5.2 per carry with three touchdowns and a 60-yarder to cap it off. 
And then the Tennessee Titans get the win. They come back and they just absolutely annihilate this, the, 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 the Seahawks in the second half. The Seahawks scored six points. That's just not acceptable. So, Kyle, before I actually go apeshit because I needed the Seahawks to win because the Titans are in my division, what do you make of this game, really, realistically? I mean, I think Seattle blew the game. I think Seattle was well in control of the game. They were up 30-16 to 16 late in the second half, and they just let it slip. And it's like you mentioned. They let Derrick Henry just pop off on them. And that's the thing is, look, Derrick Henry is one of the most powerful backs that this generation has to offer. And if he's able to exploit any defensive weaknesses that a team has, he is going to do it. And he's going to destroy you if you have those weaknesses. And he popped off today. He had over 180 yards rushing, had three touchdowns, and was solely responsible. At least, maybe not solely, but he was a huge factor in the comeback against Seattle on the road. So when I look at the Titans, you know, the Titans, they got their, they got their shit rocked in week one. They bounce back in a huge way on the road against a really good Seattle team. And to me, they showed, you know, some grit and determination. It wasn't working out in the first two and a half, three quarters, but they were able to turn it around and make it count when it mattered the most. And they got the game-winning field goal in overtime. So, you know, a 17-point swing in the latter stages of the second half on the road is not easy, but the Titans were able to make it happen. I thought Ryan Tannenhill was relatively solid today. Didn't get any touchdowns. That was all really kind of Derrick Henry's doing. But Ryan Tannenhill wasn't the reason why they didn't have a shot to win this game. He kept them in it, didn't make any mistakes, and just let Derrick Henry pound the rock. Now I got to kick it to Seattle. Look, Seattle's main issue this year is their defense. Their offense will be able to score. But defensively, they gave up 33 points. You know, and up until the second half, they were doing relatively fine, and then they just let Derrick Henry run all over them. So, granted, it's week two. I'm not going to put too much of a focus on Seattle being in trouble or anything like that, but it is somewhat of a cause of concern that you gave up a 14-point lead in the second half at home to a team that is... Relatively solid in the Tennessee Titans. They had a pretty decent run at the playoffs last year. But I am kind of surprised that Russell and the offense only were able to put up six points in the second half. They got to they gotta be better than that. So, you know, by and large, I think Seattle will be able to, to bounce back from this. So hopefully they're able to kind of correct the mistakes that they had against Tennessee in this game. But... Hey, I got to give Tennessee credit. Tennessee was able to bounce back in a huge way. And instead of being down 0-2, they're 1-1 going into week three, and it's well-deserved. So it was a great game. It was one of the better games that, that week two had to offer. And, you know, I still think that both of these teams, by and large, are going to be pretty competitive in their respective divisions as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Uh, I definitely will agree to a certain extent. Uh, I believe that the Tennessee Titans are better than what they are appearing to be last week. They had a very off week, and they just got just completely obliterated off the face of the planet by Kyler Murray. But they showed resilience. 
They showed toughness. They showed what they were about. And obviously that is getting Derrick Henry the rock. Ryan Tannehill going for 347 yards was great. He played efficient football. Obviously, we don't expect him to go out there and make big plays like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Lamar Jackson or anything of that nature. But there was a Julio Jones sighting today, which is good news for them. Six receptions for 128 yards, a 51-yard reception to cap it off. Uh, So it did look like their offense in the air was able to step it up, and Julio Jones was able to get into a rhythm, which is going to be crucial for them going forward down the stretch. They did uh, go out and acquire him for this particular reason. And if you have Julio Jones and Derrick Henry and eventually A.J. Brown kind of popping off, I don't see a lot of people being able to stop this offense. The problem is the defense, similar to Seattle. I'm going to transition on to that team as well. Obviously, Russell going for 343, two tuts, and just doing his thing on the ground to kind of keep plays alive. He was sacked a couple of times, but his passer rating of 128 was just incredible obviously throwing over or completing over 60 percent of his passes i think that the main issue is going to be here is going to be their consistency at running the football seattle was only able to put the ball on the ground 18 times for 77 yards not too good they averaged as a team 4.3 yards per carry but it isn't anything that's going to kind of jump out at me considering chris carson had two touchdowns on two of those carries and alex collins had one rush for 25 yards so that average is a little inflated Overall, I do think this was an incredible game. But like Kyle said, the Seahawks straight up just blew it, man. Their defense could not contain Derrick Henry, and that offense was unable to really put anything on the board or really get anything going. Tyler Lockett had an incredible game, obviously going for 178 and a touchdown. Uh, Freddie Swan got open, the former uh, University of Florida receiver, with a 68-yard touchdown. So they're able to score at will for the most part in terms of Seattle, but the fact that they went cold so quick is a little bit of a concern to me. They're already struggling to stop people on the defensive side of the ball, but when you get that ball back and you can't put points up yourself, if you're going to continue to get into these shootouts, you better accept that your defense is horrible and you you have to get into that mindset of, we need to score every possession in order to win games. You play in the NFC West, so you already know it's going to be competitive every single game. If I'm not mistaken, everybody in the NFC West outside of Seattle is 2-0. The Cardinals won today, the 49ers won today, and obviously the Rams also won today. So the Seahawks are already a game behind the eight ball. It's not good when you blow a lead at home to an, uh, to an out-of-conference rival or an out-of-conference team. And it gives Tennessee momentum going into the game with Indianapolis next week. So, you know, there's pros and cons to this game, but I definitely think the main headline to this game was Seattle kind of choked and uh, Tennessee ran away with it and they didn't want – they smelled blood in the water. They didn't want to give that ball back. I feel you. I feel okay. You. Okay. Yeah, I had to get comfortable for this okay. next segment. That's fine. So. No, I, I got it. That's fine. Go, go, go. Come on. Yeah, you, no, this is all you, bro. Okay, all okay, you. okay, okay, okay. So in our next segment, obviously we're going to be talking about the Falcons and the Buccaneers. The Falcons – found a way to suck that much more and make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look like the defending champions that they are. Tom Brady absolutely carves it up for five touchdowns in the air. Um, and the Buccaneers win this game by a score of 48 to 25. So Kyle, how do you feel about Brady's performance thus far this season? And do you believe an Early MVP award should be given to Tom Brady due to the dominance that he's had within his first two weeks of the season. 
Yes, absolutely. He's been okay. phenomenal. He's been living up to the GOAT status, and he just continues to marvel. At age 44, Kevin, 44. Okay. He has nine touchdowns. And I just, look, when I look at the Bucks overall, you know, I actually thought that this was a closer game than what the score actually indicated because Tampa's defense allowed Atlanta to come back into this game. Because if I remember correctly, the Bucks were up 28 to 10 in this game. And then Atlanta got on a pretty solid hot streak. They scored 15 unanswered points to make it a three point game at 28 to 25. And then Brady just marched right down the field, was able to hit up Chris Godwin on an out to the corner that put him up 35 to 25. And then after that, they were able to get two pick sixes on back-to-back plays from Mike Edwards. And I really do think that those two pick sixes are noteworthy because even though that they were playing the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons are not that good of a team. That Tampa defense needed a spark because they had given up almost 30 points to Dallas in week one. They were on their way to possibly giving up 30 points against Atlanta. But I really do think that those two interceptions on back-to-back possessions that led to pick sixes are going to be big for this team moving forward. Just because, by and large, Tampa's defense can be had, especially in the secondary. Their front seven is phenomenal. And that's why teams are really kind of making it an emphasis to pass on them because Tampa's defense can be had. But overall, like when I look at this team, this team is still solid. And Brady, to me, he is the early MVP leader simply because the guy is just a machine. I mean, at 44 years old, he has nine touchdowns to two interceptions. Those two interceptions, you could probably say, are like the most inconsequential interceptions that he's had in his career because the first one wasn't his fault and the second one was on a Hail Mary. So, you know, when I really look at it, it's like nine touchdowns, like no interceptions in my mind. You know, the two interceptions are just an unfortunate stat to have. He's not really responsible for those two. But his connection with... Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronkowski, and Antonio Brown. I, I, I mean, that's a four-headed monster when it comes to weapons on the offensive side of the ball. And Brady is just making it work. He, I mean, two more touchdowns to Gronk today. He threw a touchdown to Mike Evans. He threw, uh, actually, he threw two to Mike Evans. And two to Mike the, Evans. Yeah, and then he threw the last one to Chris Godwin. I mean, the team offensively is humming. I think this was like their ninth or 10th game in a row where they've put up 30 points. They put up damn near 50 in this game, even though the defense did get two touchdowns. But this team offensively is just humming. I love the direction of where this team is going. And Brady just, I think, has these guys in the mindset of, we're here. We're going to try to repeat once again. And unless teams can get some sort of pressure against Brady consistently, this team is going to put up 30-plus for the foreseeable future. They do have a tough game against the L.A. Rams on the road in Week 3, so that's going to be a good test for them. But going into Week 3, Brady's been sensational. He's been the best quarterback, I think, as far as I'm concerned, in the NFL this year. You could make a case, you know, Patrick Mahomes or possibly another quarterback, even possibly Derek Carr. Derek Carr's having a phenomenal start this year as well. But I think Brady's the leader. And the stats indicate that nine touchdowns to start off the year in two weeks. Phenomenal. 
Sadly, I have to agree. Um, the man is playing at a caliber in which I don't really see a lot of quarterbacks doing. Again, it is only two weeks in, but nine touchdowns in two weeks is absolutely ridiculous for someone his age. Um, the defense is playing okay. They are the number one rated rush defense for a reason. So Atlanta not being able to get anything going on the ground and limiting them to 2.8 yards per carry is no surprise. But making Matt Ryan have to go 46 times and he completed 35 of them for 300 yards and having three interceptions, they did sack him and they held him to a 36.3 QBR is no short feat. But like Kyle said, before that fourth quarter roll happened, Atlanta was coming back and they were doing it very swiftly. Uh, they went on a 25-point swing from the second into the third quarter, but scored zero in the fourth while obviously Tampa scored 20. And that was the key right there. The two pick sixes were huge. Uh, that kind of, like Kyle said, sparked that defense to remind them that they do have to go out there and make plays as well. You can't solely rely on your pass rushers and your rush defense to take away for your, from your ineptitude to take the ball away in the secondary. Um, front seven, everybody knows how good they are and how good they can be, but Go forward. I stand by what I said about the Buccaneers being my pick for the B, uh, to be a, a Super Bowl favorite. They did play two teams with atrocious defenses in the Dallas Cowboys and the Atlanta Falcons, but their test will be next week, like Kyle said. So I am excited to see that. The biggest critique, as I always give the Bucs, is going to be their rushing. Um, the rush... The rushing attack in the tandem of Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette has not been anything to brag about at least in my opinion, within the first two games. Um, they had 21 rushes for 82 yards, averaging 3.9 a carry, which isn't atrocious. But, you know, you usually want to have the, anything over four yards a carry. I know they're, we're just short of it. But, you know, when you're up that much, you would hope that they would be able to run the football a lot more effectively. But from the Tom Brady perspective, what, what can you really say? He did everything he needed to do put the ball on a dime, threw receivers open, made the right reads. Pretty much almost every completion he had was on the money. And the Bucks are rolling, man. They're, lead, they're, they're following suit from what they did last year, and they're looking to repeat. And I don't really see many teams being able to stop them. And, yo, next week's game is a must-watch football because I believe that is a forecasting for an NFC championship matchup. Did you honestly think that we would see some slippage from Brady at this point at being 44 years old? I'm just saying, like, if you if you were to like look back like three years ago when he was with the Patriots at 41 years old, do you think it was? Like, I know this is kind of like looking back, you know, but was it possible that you know we were going to see some slippage from him at this point, you know, in, if he was actually still playing, like three years back? I mean, well, yeah, because you're just going off of a number. Obviously, no one's going to know the scenario. Three years ago, no one knew Tom Brady was going to be in the Tampa Bay area. Mm -hmm. No one knew he was going to have the weapons that he was going to have. I know it was just an example, but you cannot predict anybody at this age in any sport to be productive this consistent. Obviously, football being one of the more physically grueling sports, you definitely don't expect it. But him doing this at 44, turning 45 this season, is something we've never seen before. So it's not really a surprise anymore because every week this man just finds a way to define time and just go against the grain and say, fuck it, bro. I, he said this week, if I can play till 50, I plan to, which he probably meant as a joke, but I don't know if he did mean it as a joke because no one saw him being able to play this long. So shit, 
Somebody will sign him at this rate. But we talked about this last week. If he has an opportunity to go for 10 Super Bowls and he's playing at a clip like this or something close to this, there's no reason why a team wouldn't want to play with somebody that's still putting up really good performances week in and week out. You know who's putting up good performances? The Baltimore Ravens just put up a good performance. They just beat the Kansas City Chiefs. God damn it. The score Red was 36. I hate to break it to you, Kevin. I'm sorry to be the uh, the bearer of bad news. Yeah, so the, the Baltimore Ravens in probably one of the best games of the season this year. They went a close one at home against Kansas City by the score of 36 to 35. I mean, just looking down the stat line here, I mean, Lamar Jackson throwing the ball was okay. 18 to 26, 239 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. But when I'm looking at what he did on the ground, he was phenomenal. 16 carries, 107 yards, two touchdowns, including the game-winning touchdown late in the fourth quarter. And you got to give credit to Baltimore's defense to be able to step up and stop Patrick Mahomes from putting the key, from putting the Kansas City Chiefs in field goal position to potentially win the game. And the Ravens were able to get the ball back. They were able to convert on a, a fourth and one, ice the game after converting on fourth down. And Baltimore, after many t- attempts to finally beat the Chiefs in this rivalry between Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, the Ravens do come up on top. I know, Kevin, I know we didn't watch this game, but just kind of give me your quick hit to this game. You know, What was your quick reaction uh, to this final score between the Ravens and the Chiefs with the Ravens coming out on top? Well, I'm torn because obviously we know that the Kansas City Chiefs have no lackluster issue in terms of putting points on the board off- offensively. But just looking at the stat sheet and seeing a big fat zero in the fourth quarter and Lamar getting hot in the fourth with them scoring 12 points, just goes to show Kansas City is not perfect. Nobody saw them having a perfect season or going anywhere near what they went a few years back when they won the Super Bowl at 14-2 and two or 15-1, and one, whatever it is that they were. But, dude, it really looked like the Chiefs could not get it going on the ground. Uh, excuse me, not on the ground. Um, in the air with their main target of Tyreek Hill, three, uh, three receptions, 14 yards, but Travis Kelsey led the way. So, I don't know, man. It, it, it's really weird. I, I want to give Baltimore credit, but Lamar Jackson still threw two interceptions, so it does show that he's still struggling to make plays with his arm, and he has to rely on his legs. And we all know strategies like that don't bode well with mobile quarterbacks in NFL history. So in my opinion, it sucks to say, I don't have an issue with the Ravens, but when you rely on your feet as a quarterback, you're not really going to win championships because we do know quarterback. The last mobile quarterback to win a Super Bowl was Russell Wilson. Mobile quarterbacks can make it, but Russell Wilson is a phenomenal talent in the pocket and can make incredible throws. I've yet to see that from Lamar Jackson this season and throughout his entire career consistently. In terms of the game, great way to show that Baltimore is still alive. I do know that Kansas City was up by double digits in the fourth at some point, and Baltimore had to do what they needed to do to come back. But yeah, I'm not really going to dive too deep into it. I think that Baltimore definitely deserved this win at home after collapsing in overtime against the Raiders. But the Kansas City Chiefs need to go back and look at this and say, hey, we need to play better defense, but we also need to find a way to not go cold on the offensive side. I believe that that interception that Pat threw in the fourth was a deciding factor in which Baltimore went down the field and scored the first touchdown in, in, the, in the fourth. But you know, mistakes happen. Patrick Mahomes is no scrub, and he's no stranger to adversity. So we'll just have to see how the Chiefs bounce back next week. 
Yeah, this is a scenario where I'm not worried about the Chiefs in the, in the long term. They're still one of the best teams in the AFC. Granted, it's a one point loss. I mean, I mean, it's not the first first point loss or one point loss this week. I mean, we talked about it earlier with the uh, the Arizona Cardinals beating the Vikings by one point. So there's definitely been some close results. This this one definitely being a close one as well. But hey, give the Ravens credit. You know, they could have fallen apart after that really tough loss on the road to Las Vegas last week, but they came together when it mattered in the, in the fourth quarter going, you know, 12, nothing in the fourth quarter against a team like Kansas city. That is no easy feat. So granted, I know the defense for Baltimore gave up 35 points, but I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes in Kansas city. That team could just light up any defense, but they stepped up when they needed to. And look, when it comes to Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson is one of the most electrifying, one of the most athletic quarterbacks that this generation has to offer at the quarterback spot. But what comes along with that is, I don't want to say he sucks as a passing quarterback. It's just, it's a weaker part of his game. He's not consistent. His bread and butter is being able to run the read option and being able to make plays on his feet, like you mentioned. It can win you games, but in the long haul, it's probably not going to lead to championship contending teams simply just because teams can key on that run factor when it comes to the playoffs. And then you kind of have to rely on Lamar Jackson's arm to get it done. And that has been shaky at best at this point throughout his career. But just for this one game, look, I thought Lamar outside of the two interceptions that he had was phenomenal. This game ends up getting the game winning touchdown. So you got to give him, credit for being at the right place at the right time, making plays happens when it matters the most. And this is a rivalry that's probably going to be around for at least a foreseeable future. And at least Baltimore was finally able to get a win on their side in this matchup. Cause by and large, Kansas city has kind of owned Baltimore in, I don't know, the last two to three years when these guys have been going at it. So good on Baltimore. They stay competitive in the AFC North. And when it comes to the Chiefs, the Chiefs are going to be able to rebound from this. I'm not worried about them in any way, shape, or form. But good on Baltimore. That's a good win for them. Definitely not a concern whatsoever. Uh, a concern, at least for myself, is the fact that the Indianapolis Colts are 0-2. So, guys, we are going to get into our honorable mentions. These are going to be a little bit more brief segments or brief topics. We're not going to get into a deep dive of these games. This is just a segment, or should I say section of football, that we want to just you know mention at least – some good portions or some bad parts each and every week. Games that we don't have the time, unfortunately, to deep dive in. Otherwise, we'd be here for two-plus hours every Sunday. And we all have day jobs, so we're going to cut this short. Um, the Indianapolis Colts fall short to the uh, Los Angeles Rams by the score of 27-24. to 24. Uh, Carson Wentz ends up exiting that game with an apparent ankle injury. Frank Reich has failed to comment or you know acknowledge the severity of it, so we'll play that by ear. On the opposite side... Matthew Stafford looked pretty good. Matt Stafford goes for 278, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, they really did us in on the uh, receiving end. Cooper Cup just completely annihilated us for 163 and two touchdowns. Uh, the, the man was pretty much open all day, and there was no way to stop him. On the defensive side of the ball, the coach pretty much just looked completely lost in a lot of ways. I mean, blown coverages left and right. Uh, we didn't really have ways to protect Carson and keep him upright, henceforth why he was hurt. On a big, bright note, though, 
Eric Fisher did play today for the first time since rupturing his Achilles or tearing his Achilles, should I say, in the AFC Championship last year. So that's great. Um, I, I, I really, really have to stress the sheer fact that our sole reason that Carson is getting annihilated is because our reserve tackle, I forget his first name, but his, name, his last name is Davenport. He is literally graded one of the worst, if not the worst tackle in the NFL, and the majority of the rushes are coming from his side. Last week he played left, this week he played right, and we were out Braden Smith, so hopefully when Braden returns, we'll be able to play a little bit better. But again, the Rams go on to 2-0. and The Colts go down to 0-2 in a division game that's coming up next week with the Titans. We are definitely going to have to win this game, but with Carson's status being up in the air, I believe that this is going to be a very, very, very close decision. I personally think, from what I saw, he'll miss some time because a high ankle sprain, depending on if it was on his bad foot or not, he could be out up to two to three weeks. So we're just going to have to play it by ear. And the Rams obviously have their big enough game coming up with the Buccaneers next week. So going to be a good week for football next week. But in terms of me as an individual fan, not happy to see the Colts are struggling this much, especially in a department in which we told Carson we have the best offensive line, and he's been shown the complete opposite so not happy where we're going with that um the next game i want to mention on my side is definitely going to be the broncos and the jaguars the broncos do move to 2-0 in their uh in their season thus far the jaguars fall to 0-2 if i'm being honest i don't think i saw teddy bridgewater personally playing as well as he's been playing obviously um courtland sutton had an absolutely incredible game with jerry judy being out somebody had to step up and he did just that 159 yards and nine receptions. He was targeted 12 times. Teddy went for 328, two touchdowns, averaging just under 10 10 yards per throw. QBR of 61 and a passer rating of 125. They did not get it done on the ground. Jacksonville's rush defense did play very well. They ran the ball 30 30 times. They only had 96 yards on the ground, so that's 3.2 yards per carry. But overall... The Broncos are playing very good defense. The Broncos are playing good offense. And I think that this is going to be a big surprise for a lot of people just because Teddy being named the starter like a few days before the season started, Teddy being acquired in the offseason via trade, I just, I just did not expect them to play this well. And, um, you know, Jacksonville being 0-2 with Trevor Lawrence at the helm and, you know, the inconsistencies throughout the organization is no surprise. So, I will let Trevor suffer out there in Jacksonville. That is his problem. That's Urban Meyer's problem. But on the Denver side, definitely shocked, definitely happy for them. I know Von Miller didn't play last year, but super happy to see that he's playing competitive football again. Patrick Sertain Jr. playing really good football as well. Justin Simmons. So uh, good on Denver, but I'm bouncing it over to you, Kyle. What are your, uh, what are your games to mention? All right, so the first one I'm going to go over is going to be the Patriots and Jets game. So. Uh, the Patriots won uh, against the Jets, uh, twenty-five to six. This was Mac Jones. This was his first win as the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. I thought, relatively speaking, he was solid. He was uh, efficient once again, completing over seventy percent of his passes. Uh, he only threw for one hundred eighty-eight yards, didn't have any touchdowns, but you know they're they're keeping it relatively safe with him. Uh, he's not forcing the ball into dangerous windows or really tight spaces yet. They're keeping the offense simple for him, and it's been working so far. They've definitely made more of a focus on trying to run the ball 
this season. We saw Damian Harris bounce back in this game against the Jets. He had a phenomenal, I believe it was like a 25 to 30 yard run where he broke seven tackles on this play against the Jets defense where he was able to score a touchdown for them. It was one of the more better runs of the year. And it's a huge bounce back moment for him since last week against the Miami Dolphins. He squandered a huge opportunity by fumbling the ball at the end of the game against the Dolphins, which the Patriots ended up losing. But the main focus that I want to hit on here is Zach Wilson and the Jets. Zach Wilson, granted, he's a rookie, and this is his second game as a starter for the Jets. He had a really bad game today. I'm not going to be super critical of Zach because he's a rookie. But today was a really bad day for him. He had four interceptions. It does, it is kind of reminiscent of Sam Darnold seeing ghosts when he was playing against the Patriots a couple years ago when he was throwing turnover left and right against New England's defense on a Monday night football game. So Zach's on some of these interceptions. Some of these were tip passes. Some of these just didn't go his way. I believe the fourth one he had was just a a really, really bad throw. But yeah, this is this is not a performance that you want your rookie quarterback to have in his second outing as a starting quarterback. I mean, by and large, the Jets were relatively anemic today on offense by only scoring six points. They had some success running the ball, but being down against New England, it kind of forced them to pass the ball more and Zach Wilson really didn't make that much of a effective effort against New England's defense. And you know, the, the Jets are sitting here. zero and two and granted, you know, going up against new England and new England's new England just continues their success against rookie quarterbacks. I think I heard a stat today that when Bill Belichick is coaching against a rookie quarterback, the rookie quarterbacks have thrown for 21 touchdowns, to like 43 or like 44 interceptions. So they are really making their mark defensively against rookie quarterbacks. And it just kind of continues the trend that rookie quarterbacks really struggle against a Bill Belichick-led defense. And that was pretty much the result today. So get the Patriots credit. They bounced back to a 500 record. And the Jets, they just look like they continue to be the Jets. And unfortunately, Zach Wilson just didn't get it done today. So hopefully he can bounce back from it because... This is a game that you want to put in the rearview mirror very quickly. So, I mean, the New York media absolutely crushed him today by asking him, you know, was he seeing ghosts in the uh, post-game press conference? And he pretty sh- he, he shut that down pretty quickly. So hopefully he can bounce back from this sooner rather than later. And then the second game that I want to focus on is the Carolina Panthers uh, beating the New Orleans Saints. So Carolina is sitting at 2-0. and And that is really kind of a surprise to me just because I didn't think Carolina was going to be that effective this year with Sam Darnold. I mean, he's a, he's a mid-level quarterback. He's, he's average at best in my opinion, but he's been playing phenomenal and he had a really good performance against the New Orleans Saints today. Had threw for 305 yards, 26 of 38 passing, had two touchdowns, did have the one interception. That's really kind of the only knock I can have against him today. They got a really good production day from Christian McCaffrey. He had 24 carries, 72 yards, had a touchdown on the ground. He also had five catches for 65 yards in the passing game. But by and large, I thought the the main focus here for Carolina was their defense. They held the New Orleans Saints to seven points. They were able to 
sacked Jameis Winston four times today. They also forced two interceptions from Jameis Winston. So they were able to make some solid plays defensively. And when I look at Carolina's defense, the, the point of emphasis is uh, New Orleans' third down efficiency. They were two of 11. So Carolina, when presented a third down opportunity, they were able to get the New Orleans Saints off the field. And the stats reflect that two of 11 on third down for the Saints. That's not what you want to have, but that's exactly what you want to have if you're the Carolina Panthers. And look, in, in the NFC South, it, I thought that the Bucs would be you know, pretty much the cream of the crop just because it's Brady in the offense, just humming, and the defense is opportunistic when op- opportunities present themselves. But I'm actually surprised at how well Carolina has played the first two weeks. Granted, they will be playing against the Buccaneers at some point later in the season, so that'll be a really good test for them. But, you know, got to give credit where credit is due. I didn't think that Carolina would be sitting here at 2-0 and after week two, but they have proven me wrong, and they've looked pretty good in the process so far. So got to give some shine to Carolina, and uh, those two games in particular with the Patriots-Jets and the Saints and the Panthers are my honorable mentions for games this week. Great games, great coverage. Obviously, like we said, we would love to cover every single game and dive deep into all of them, but we know that that's just not possible, especially with time. And we want to make these segments quick and easy for you guys because we know that you guys don't always have the availability to click and watch our 10, 11, 12-minute deep dives. So, you know, three or four minutes per game, that'd be great. You know, in a perfect world, we'd be able to get you guys a lot more content out every day, but we make do with the time that we have. But to close out this episode, we are just going to make our simple predictions for tomorrow's Monday night game. Super happy, actually, we were able to cover pretty much almost every single game, including the night game today. So tomorrow is going to be the Green Bay Packers versus the Detroit Lions. Obviously, a division rivalry, a game that's been going on for decades. Um, So, Kyle, straight up, who do you have winning and why? Oh, I think the Packers got this one. I mean, after the shellacking that they took from the Saints last week, this team needs to bounce back in a big way. They're at home. I think this team is going to be electric from the start. I think they're going to be focused, and I think they're going to put an absolute beatdown on the Lions. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to look like what he was last year in his MVP form, so I wouldn't be surprised if he throws for three touchdowns. I think they're going to definitely keep an Emphasis on running the ball with Aaron Jones. He was largely ineffective last week on the ground, so I think he'll have a nice pop-off game in this game against the Lions. I just I don't see the Lions really being competitive in this game. It just seems like Aaron Rodgers and this team have had Detroit's numbers for years, and I really kind of see that being the point in this game as well. I think the Packers are going to be able to force some turnovers from Jared Goff just because I think that defense is going to have a fire lit under their ass after they got absolutely destroyed by Jameis Winston in that Saints offense last week. So if I'm looking at this game, I think the Packers are going to win this by at least 14 points, possibly 17. I'm going to say that the Packers win this one 35 to, let's say 35 to 21. I think Detroit's going to be able to score. I just don't think it's going to be enough, but I do think that the Packers are by and large, they're going to be ready for this game and they're going to put a beat down on the lines in this game. So I'm going to agree with the outcome, but I'm definitely not going to agree on the score only because here's my counter. Green Bay played so poorly against New Orleans on both sides of the ball. Defensively, embarrassed. Offensively, couldn't get it going. Just an annihilation on both fronts, right? Whereas 
Detroit last week was able to come all the way back within within a single possession of coming back to tie that game against San Francisco in San Francisco, which is just completely beyond me because nobody expected Jared Goff to play as well as he did. If I'm being honest, I legitimately say this with the utmost respect. I thought that they sent this man, Jared Goff, to Detroit to end his career. Like, I, it was like, the quarterback graveyard of everybody that has come before him and, you know, former number one overall pick gets sent out to Detroit. And it, that's all we were going to ever hear from Jared Goff. He was going to play out the rest of his contract, probably be a backup somewhere else in this league. You know what I'm saying? As fucked up as it sounds, that's just the way I saw that path going. And then last week, he absolutely torches the 49ers. Meanwhile, the 49ers just kept one of the hotter teams in the NFL in terms of offensive put out. Uh, and Philly kept them to 11 points this week. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Detroit didn't go out there and put up a big fight against one of the better teams in the NFC. So I think that they're going to make this a lot closer. What's crazy is Jared Goff's main target is legitimately a tight end, and they still made do, and they scored 33 points basically in the second half. And I think that Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift – uh, Deontay, DeAndre, what, what's DeAndre. that? What's this? DeAndre. Yeah, it is DeAndre. Okay, I thought I was crazy. But, you know, their ground game is not terrible. They did lose Okuda, Jeff Okuda for the season with a ruptured Achilles. So I don't necessarily expect much from the defensive side of the ball. But unless Green Bay's defense legitimately does a whole 180 and flips it to the competitiveness that they had last year, I don't necessarily see this having any defense. I literally could see this game going point for point because I think Jared Goff, like I said last week, has a massive chip on his shoulder and he wants to show the world, yo, we may not win a lot of games, but it sure as shit ain't going to be because of me. That man put up points last week. That man led offensive drives, got field goals, and capitalized on turnovers or whatever they could from the opportunities they were presented. So I think that they make this a lot closer. I'm not going to give a score just because I, I'm personally not a score giver or a score predictor. I'm never really right. But I genuinely feel in my heart of hearts, if this game were to go back and forth, I wouldn't be surprised. I do have Green Bay winning just because they are a better team on paper and because Aaron Rodgers is going to definitely be ticked from last week. But if Detroit comes out of nowhere and they make it competitive, don't say I didn't warn you. I think the reason why I think this is going to be a beatdown for the Packers, meaning the Packers are going to beat down the Lions, is because... I think this is a game that kind of reminds me of what Brady had against the Chiefs. You know, this was back in 2014 where the Patriots get shellacked by the Chiefs on the road. They lose by 27 points. People are questioning whether or not Brady is done, whether he's washed up. And it's oddly kind of interesting, kind of the parallels to what happened with the Packers last week. They lose by 35 points on the road. People are starting to question whether or not that Aaron Rodgers is really in it at this point. And I think, I think the result is going to be Aaron Rodgers and this team find it, what they need to get corrected. And I think they get it together and they put a beat down on a nationally televised game against the Detroit Lions. Now, I think the Lions, I think they'll keep it close, but I just don't think they're going to be able to compete with the Packers through 60 minutes of the game. I just don't see that. So I, I think this is kind of like one of those moments where Aaron Rodgers' tenure with the Green Bay Packers is in question for the long term. And if this game 
goes in the opposite direction of what I expect it to be or what I'm predicting. I think those calls for Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay, I think the, I think they get exponentially louder. And I this may be a little bit too early to say, you know, this is only the second game of the year. But if the Lions beat the Packers in this game, the ramifications that it's going to have throughout the entire NFL, it's going to reverberate significantly because I think the calls for Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay are only going to get louder. And I think it will show me that Aaron Rodgers has no intention of staying there long-term. So this is a big game for Green Bay. You know, granted it's only the second game of the year, but they need to win this game. And I think they will. I think they'll get it together. And I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, no, I I didn't even think about it from the perspective of him leaving and him having to put out and show, you know, like, Hey, I'm here. Um, Yeah. If Green Bay, by some weird chance, loses this game, it's definitely not going to look good. The narratives that are going to spin between the media and, obviously, um, Aaron himself, because we do know that he's a frequent guest on the Pat McAfee show, probably aren't going to be the best. Um, I don't know where that would go. I don't really have any idea of how that would even transpire if they do lose to Detroit. That's going to be, like, the biggest insult to injury to Aaron Rodgers' season. And, again, like Kyle said, it's only been two weeks. But – you go out there and you lose to Jameis Winston, and then if you come out there and you lose to the Lions and Jared Goff, it's not a good look overall as a season to start off 0-2 against two winnable games. So, uh, yeah, not looking forward to that. Um, definitely trying to figure out how Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams can get their chemistry back and look to see if that defense can resurge and find a way to get back to at least the middle of the pack of the NFL. Again, I don't expect them to turn around and become the damn Legion of Boom or anything like that, but... I do not expect them to get mowed over. I just expect this game to be closer than you had anticipated, and I think that the Lions are just going to put up a lot more numbers than uh, originally anticipated. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, you know, the Lions, at least they showed me that they're resilient from last week against the 49ers. They didn't give up. They stayed in it. But this is a situation where Green Bay has just owned them for, what, the last decade? Maybe more. And- <laughs> I, and I just I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I mean, you get listen, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers. I'm going with Rodgers. Like it's just I'm going with the better quarterback, and it's Aaron yeah. Rodgers. So and that's a, and that's a fair assumption. It's a fair pick. I will not sit there and disagree. Like I said, I said I got Green Bay winning. I just wouldn't be surprised if it's closer. But outside of that, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today. Um, super thankful for everything we've been able to achieve thus far. We are at 215 subscribers um, on Spotify. I was sending Kyle things while I was away. We had 64 total plays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just in terms of the actual um, audio portion of our podcast. So, I mean, you guys do the math. That's 128 total plays in a total weekend. It's incredible. So, I mean, if any of you guys are listening on those platforms – Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Kyle and I were very worried we were going to have to cut that platform off because we had seen not a dip, but just completely decimation of, of audio plays. I mean, like we were getting, what, maybe two per episode, if that, the if last that. couple of months. So thank you guys for all the support. Thank you for the support on the last videos we were able to upload last week. So, I mean, just a super appreciative of everything we've been able to achieve. Yeah, I mean... Just to kind of add to it, you know, if, if you guys watch the episode on our YouTube page, we definitely appreciate it. You know, if you guys like the episode, hit that like button below. And if you guys want to support the channel in any way, shape, or form, hit that subscribe button. 
it's like I said before, you know, any sort of support that we can get for the channel, Kevin, I definitely appreciate it. We definitely appreciate the bump in, I guess you would consider just people listening to our podcast on all the audio platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I think you guys know the, the rest of the options that are out there. We definitely appreciate that. So, I mean, Kevin, week two, it was just a phenomenal week of football. You know, we're going into next week. I imagine week three is going to be chock full of fun games to watch. Maybe a po- maybe a couple surprises, but I just I look forward to week three. It's 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 going to be fun. I'm looking forward to every single week from this point forward till February, bro. I don't even give a shit what games are on the schedule. I'm watching football. I'm happy. We got content. We back, baby. The neighborhood podcast about to take off. You heard it here first. Yes, sir. But with that said, we'll wrap that up from here. Once again, just thank you guys for tuning in to listen or to watch the episode and we will see you guys later this week have you ever wondered what actually happens in congress every day stay informed on capitol hill's daily happenings with a concise factual summary of the senate and house of representatives activities from the previous session free from bias on the congressional record daily digest podcast Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one on one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric acid.